Chapter 25 of The Spanish Brothers by Deborah Alcock. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 25 Waiting Our night is dreary, and dim our day, and if thou turn thy face away, we are sinful, feeble, and helpless dust, and have none to look to and none to trust. Hogg Thus was Carlos roused from the dull apathy of forced inaction. With the courage and energy that are born of hope, he made the few and simple preparations for his flight that were in his power. He also visited as many as he could of his afflicted friends, feeling that his ministry among them was now drawing to a close. He rejoined his uncle's family as usual at the evening meal. Don Balthazar, the empleado, was not present at its commencement, but soon came in, looking so much disturbed that his father asked, What is amiss? there is nothing amiss senor my father answered the young man as he raised a large cup of manzanilla to his lips is there any news from the city asked his brother don manuel don balthazar set down the empty cup no great news he answered a curse upon those lutheran dogs that are setting the place in an uproar what more arrests said don manuel the elder it is awful the number reached eight hundred yesterday who is taken now a priest from the country dr juan gonzalez and a friar named olmedo but that is nothing they might take all the churchmen in all the spains and fling them into the lowest dungeons of the triana for me it is a different matter when we come to speak of ladies ladies too of the first families and highest consideration a slight shudder and a kind of forward movement as if to catch what was coming passed round the table but Don Balthazar seemed reluctant to say more. "'Is it any of our acquaintances?' asked the sharp, high-pitched voice of Doña Sancha at last. "'Everyone is acquainted with Don Pedro Garcia de Zeres y Bojorques. It is I tremble to tell you his daughter.' "'Which?' cried Gonsalvo, in tones that turned the gaze of all on his livid face and fierce, eager eyes. "'Saint Iago, brother, you need not look thus at me. Is it my fault?' it is the learned one of course doña maria poor lady she may well wish now that she had never meddled with anything beyond her breviary our lady and the saints defend us doña maria in prison for heresy horrible who will be saved now the ladies exclaimed crossing themselves shudderingly but the men used stronger language fierce and bitter were the anathemas they heaped upon heresy and heretics yet it is only just to say that had they dared they might have spoken differently probably in their secret hearts they meant the curses less for the victims than for their oppressors and had spain been a land in which men might speak what they thought gonzalez de munabraga would have been devoted to a lower place in hell than luther or calvin only two were silent before the eye of carlos rose the sweet thoughtful face of the young girl as he had last seen it radiant with the faith and hope kindled by the sublime words of heavenly promise spoken by losada but the sight of another face still rigid death-like drove that vision away gonsalvo sat opposite to him at the table and had he never heard the strange story doña inez told him that look would have revealed it all neither curse nor prayer passed the white lips of gonsalvo not one of all the bitter words found so readily on slighter occasions now came to his aid the fiercest outburst of passion would have seemed less terrible to carlos than this unnatural silence yet none of the others after the first moment appeared to notice it 
or if they did observe anything strange in the look and manner of Gonsalvo, it was imputed to physical pain, from which he often severed, but for which he rejected and even resented sympathy until at last it ceased to be offered him. Having given what expression they dared to their outraged feelings, they once more turned their attention to the unfinished repast. It was not at all a cheerful meal, yet it was duly partaken of, except by Gonsalvo and Carlos, both of whom left the table as soon as they could, without attracting attention. Willingly would Carlos have endeavored to console his cousin, but he did not dare to speak to him, or even to allow him to guess that he saw the anguish of his soul. One day still remained to him before his flight. In the morning, though not very early, he set out to finish his farewell visits to his friends. He had not gone many paces from the house when he observed a gentleman in a plain black clothing with sword and cloak look at him regardfully as he passed. A moment afterwards, the same person, having apparently changed his mind as to the direction in which he wished to go, hurried by him at a rapid pace, and with a murmured, Pardon, senor, thrust a billet into his hand. Not doubting that one of his friends had sent an emissary to warn him of some danger, Carlos turned into one of the narrow winding lanes with which the semi-oriental city abounds, and finding himself safe from observation, cast a hasty glance at the billet. His eye just caught the words, His reverence the Lord Inquisitor, Don Gonsalvo, after midnight, revelations of importance, strict secrecy. What did it all mean? Did the writer wish to inform him that his cousin intended betraying him to the Inquisition? He did not believe it, but the sound of approaching footsteps made him thrust the paper hastily away, and in another moment his sleeve was grasped by Gonsalvo. "'Give it to me,' said his cousin in a breathless whisper. "'Give you what?' "'The paper that born idiot and Marplot put into thy hands, mistaking thee for me. Curse the fool! Did you not know I was lame?' Carlos showed the note, still holding it. "'Is this what you mean?' he asked. "'You have read it. Honourable!' cried Gonsalvo with a bitter sneer. "'You are unjust to me. It bears no address, and I could not suppose otherwise than that it was intended for myself. However, I only read the few disconnected words upon which my eye first chanced to fall.' The cousins stood gazing in each other's faces, as those might do that meet in mortal combat, ere they close hand to hand. Each was wondering whether the other was capable of doing a deadly injury.' Yet after all, each held at the bottom of his heart a conviction that the other might be trusted. Carlos, though he had the greater cause for apprehension, was the first to come to a conclusion. Almost with a smile, he handed the note to Gonsalvo. Whatever yon mysterious billet may mean to Don Gonsalvo, he said, I am convinced that he means no harm to any one bearing the name of Alvarez de Menaya. He will never repent that word, and it is true, in the sense you speak of returned Gonsalvo, taking the paper from his hand. At that moment he was irresolute whether to confide in Carlos or no. But the touch of his cousin's hand decided him. It was cold and trembling. One so weak in heart and nerve was obviously unfit to share the burden of a brave man's desperate resolve. Carlos went his way, firmly believing that Gonsalvo intended no ill to him. But what then did he intend? Had he solicited the Inquisitor for a private midnight interview, merely to throw himself at his feet and with impassioned eloquence plead the cause of Doña Maria, were important revelations only a blind to procure his admission? Impossible! Who, past the age of infancy, would kneel to the storm to implore it to be still, or to the fire to ask it to subdue its rage? Perhaps some dreamy enthusiast, unacquainted with the world and its ways, might still be found sanguine enough for such a project, but certainly not Don Gonzalo Alvarez de Manaya. Or had he a bribe to offer? 
Inquisitors, like other churchmen, were known to be subject to human frailties. Of course they would not touch Skrild, but according to a well-known Spanish proverb, you are invited to throw it into their cowls. And Muna Braga could scarcely have fed his numerous train of insolent retainers, decked his splendid barge with gold and purple, and brought rare plants and flowers from every known country to his magnificent gardens, without very large additions to the acknowledged income of the Inquisitor General's deputy. But again, not all the wealth of the Indies would avail to open the gates of the Triana to an obstinate heretic, however it might modify their views of his reverence upon the merits of a doubtful case, and even to procure a few slight alleviations in the treatment of the accursed would have required a much deeper purse than Gonsalvo's. Moreover, Carlos saw that the young man was bitter of soul, ready for any desperate deed. What if he meant to accuse himself? amid the careless profanity in which he had been too wont to indulge many a word had fallen from his lips that might be contrary to sound doctrine in the estimation of the inquisitors comparatively lenient as they were to blasphemers but what possible benefit to dona maria would be gained by his throwing himself into the jaws of death and if it were really his resolve to commit suicide by way of ending his own miseries he could surely accomplish the act in a more direct and far less painful manner thus carlos pondered but in whatever way he considered the matter he could not escape from the idea that his cousin intended some dangerous or fatal step gonsalvo was too still too silent this was an evil sign carlos would have felt comparatively easy about him had he made him shrink and shudder by an outburst of the fiercest most indignant curses for the less emotion is wasted in expression the more remains like pent-up steam to drive the engine forward in its course Moreover, there was an evil light in Gonzalo's eye, a gleam like that of hope, but hope that was certainly not kindled from above. Although the very crisis of his own fate was now approaching, and every faculty might have had full occupation nearer home, Carlos was haunted perpetually by the thoughts of his cousin. It continued to occupy him not only during his visits to his friends, but afterwards in the solitude and silence of his own apartment. We all know the strange perversity with which, in times of suspense and sorrow, the mind will sometimes run riot upon matters irrelevant and even apparently trivial with slow footsteps the hours stole on miserable hours to carlos except in so far as he could spend them in prayer now his only resource and refuge after pleading for himself for juan for his dear imprisoned brethren and sisters he named gonsalvo and was led most earnestly to implore god's mercy for his unhappy cousin as he thought of his misery so much greater than his own his loneliness without God in the world, his sorrow without hope, his pleading grew impassioned, and when at last he rose from his knees, it was with that sweet sense that God would hear, nay, that he had heard, which is one of the mysteries of the new life, the precious things that no man knoweth, save he that receiveth them. Then, believing it was nearly midnight, he quickly finished his simple preparations, took his guitar, which had now lain unused for a long time, and sallied forth from his chamber, End of chapter 25